Welcome to Feeling Asian, a podcast where two Asians talk about their feelings. I'm Youngmi Mayer. And I'm Brian Park. And before uh, we do this every week, I don't know why I have to keep explaining it. Before we introduce our guest, <laughs> we're going to do our Patreon shout outs. Yes. Uh, for those of you who are not aware, we have a Patreon. If you like our content, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash feeling Asian. And Young Me and I offer different subscription tiers with different exclusive benefits. But at the very least... Any donation amount gets you a shout out on this podcast. I just want to say your donations are very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm unemployed, please. And Not uh, to sound too desperate. The way these shout outs work (laughs) is Young Me and I use our psychic abilities to guess who you are just as a person based on your name alone. Yeah, there's not there's not that much to it. Last week, I got some feedback. We there, were there very have, wrong. There have been whispers that our psychic abilities need some tune-up. So I wasn't hungover enough, I think. Remember <laughs> I I I think that if I'm the more hungover I am somehow somehow the more accurate it becomes. Yeah. Are you ready for I'm our first s- shout out? So ready. Alvin Kwong. Alvin Kwong. Oh man, it reminds me of like those like sexy Wong Kar Wai movies. What, right? I was just laughing. Why why did you laugh when I said, because I always say sexy? I'm like, I have a crush on this person. Everyone is hot and sexy. (laughs) You know what? I'm doing a lot for the Asian community because stereotypically they're not found found as sex. I was going to say objects, but that's not what I'm trying to say. (laughs) We want to make baby, sure that baby steps, baby Asian steps. men are sex objects, seen as <laughs> sex objects. That's the, the, hey, you know what, Nanny? You're right. That's where repre- it's baby steps towards true representation. And we need to start with Asian guys can be sex objects too. What's the bimbo himbo name for Asian men that are just seen as like stupid and Kevin, sexy? Kevin Wynn? No, no, that's like a like a douchey like bubble tea guy. Like, oh. what's, what's like a himbo? What's like the himbo word for like a dumb hot Asian guy? I don't even know what himbo means. Sex, so you're on your like own. It's like a bimbo that's a man. Um, sexy. Let's make one up right now. Like It's going to be a Alvin. What's his last Alvin Kwong's sexy, muscular. You know, he's got a million followers on TikTok. He's in college. I mean, that that is what a Wong Kar Wai character (laughs) is set in 2020. Yeah, it's a TikTok star. And I'm seeing the greased back, like combed back hair. You know. And he's doing that TikTok trend where he's like singing, and all of a sudden he has has no shirt on. He's wearing a maid outfit. This is what I'm seeing. That's him for sure. Ooh. So ripped. Very How set. do those Asian men on TikTok get that ripped? Because is my question. that is all they do is just work out and post themselves on TikTok. Alvin, how are you so ripped? How did you, what kind of protein powder are you drinking? Feel free to slide into our DMs with your TikTok because we're pretty confident about outfit. this shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, our second Patreon shout out goes to Pete Han. I'm sorry. Also sounds. <laughs> <laughs> also I'm sorry, but that well, that's a hot sounding Pete Han to me that I saw those round glasses. You know, those round like K-pop glasses. Oh. I saw that immediately. I'm saying Pete Han as like a sexy journalist academic type. Yeah. With the round glasses. Oh, for me, I feel, I see it more of like a photographer artist turtleneck guy. Yeah. Like I, Alvin Kwong is more TikTok YouTuber 
Pete Hahn is sexy, uh, sexy, it's like <laughs> sexy in a J store way. <laughs> What's a J store? J store is that big academic journal database. See, that's why I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a grad student and uh, he's a TA for his lectures and all the undergrads want to have sex with him. Yeah. Because he's sexy. I, I'm getting sexy vibes too. Thank you for your donation, Pete Han. And our last shout out goes to Christy Okimoto. Oh, that name sounds so familiar. Do you think Christy Okimoto is also a sexy name? Yes, but uh, <laughs> that's besides the point, right? I think it sounds like, like the name of an author or something. Christy Okimoto? Yeah, but I have a very bad memory, so... <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to guess that she is an author. Like an author. Like, I feel like I've seen her name on a book or something. She's I'm going to guess she is a bubble tea franchise owner. <laughs> Stop. What? Is that That's offensive? racist. <laughs> I'm just kidding. What? She probably owns a lot of like Cabello's or something. <laughs> okay. Maybe. Okay. 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 Now I'm I guess. I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. Not bubble joke. tea. It can be like Italian gelato. Nice. Nice save, Brian. <laughs> Is that I feel a good like, <laughs> yeah, I could see her she being an Italian She is a successful store. business owner. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm seeing that too. Like a little, like she wears those like pretty Why does it aprons. have to be little, young me? Little aprons. <laughs> Apron I thought you were going to say like little Asian. No. <laughs> She's six foot three wearing an ape, tiny apron. <laughs> oh man. I feel like our psychic abilities are so fucked right now. We, it's because somebody told us that we, we're bad at it. I know, and then I'm in my now head like, now. And we I'm are like, bad at it. I used to be on point. I'm canceling I, the I podcast. Guessed, <laughs> I guessed that someone was a microimmunologist. And now I've devolved into like, oh, she's a bubble tea owner. <laughs> <laughs> when did that happen? I didn't even know that happened. Oh, uh, I kept it to myself. She DM'd me though. And wow. said that you, you were right. What? I am a microbiologist. You knew, you knew her. There's no, no way. No, I did not. I did not. I did not. You think the person that I guessed liked anal really likes anal, but she was too ashamed to tell me. <laughs> In any case, Christy, thank you so much for Thanks your for the donation. Money. <laughs> and let us know if we are right. Thanks for the money is what I'm going to start saying. <laughs> like that. Thank Just, you for the money. <laughs> uh, no tact. <laughs> do you wanna, is it time to introduce our guest? Yes, Henry? I'm so excited. Let's do this. Yeah. So guys, this week, our guest is someone who is... Really, really impressive, and we're so excited to have him on the podcast. He is a lawyer who specializes in anti-corruption and ethics investigation, and he is also one of the co-founders for Afghan Americans for Biden-Harris. Wow. Yeah. Who so is our president and <laughs> vice president now, if you didn't know? If you didn't know. He did it by himself, probably. Ever heard of it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> guys, please give your ears to Joseph Azam. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey. Hi, hi, hi. <laughs> wow. So how does it feel knowing that you and your Afghan-American friends uh, elected our president and vice president? I mean, I, you know, I'm pretty convinced that we are the people that push them over the top. So it feels pretty good. Yeah. You know, we're kind of yep. waiting to see like what we get out of it. Um, right. Exactly. We might be waiting for a while. <laughs> we might be waiting for a while. 
but um, it's been a rough couple of years. So I think everybody was kind of just trying to do whatever they could to change the direction. Right. Uh, and then the real work starts now, right? Like this is where like the pressure actually matters. So it feels good, but we're waiting to see. I'm so excited that you are on top of it because I'm lazy and I wasn't really planning to do any of the work. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for doing I that mean, for thank you Asian for all Americans. The, thank you for all the memes. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm gonna do the work. Don't cancel me. Actually, young me's young me's memes like sustain me. So I, I think it's all like an ecosystem. You know, yes. like it's everybody has their part. Yeah, my part is making memes about penises. <laughs> no. And then that in in turn gives Joseph the life force to continue doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah. In the circle of That's life, fair. you know where, you know, in the circle of life, how there's the, the cow poops and then the seed grows out of the poop. I'm the cow poop. <laughs> You know, and then Joseph is the seed that's growing out the, the tree of life. And then doing all I'm the work. just somehow the rain, the, the rain molecules that are being evaporated Brian's into the, the atmosphere with, I don't know how. Brian's the actor no, you, that lives like, in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Joseph, before we ask you how you're feeling. Brian, how are you feeling? Because I know you have a lot on your mind and we, we all want to hear it. How are you feeling, Brian? Okay, so... I feel like for those of you who have seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I feel like <laughs> Charlie Day in the Dayman episode. I just feel like I've been I've had like a tinfoil hat on my head in a really dark room and I've just been huffing paint all week because I I've been fully invested in what's been going on in the stock market. I've been I've my eyes have been glued to Wall Street bets. Okay. And I'm fucking fired up right now. I'm so fired up right now. Like in a good way? In a bad way. Oh no. In a, in a fully a very bad way right now. So, uh, you're, you're angry? Yes. So for oh, those of okay. you who aren't aware, there's just been this crazy market activity surrounding this one stock, uh, which is GameStop. Okay. And you know, GameStop, as we all know, it's just this like brick and mortar retail gaming store. People kind of assume that it's like this shitty company. But uh, if you look at the fundamentals of it, there's like reason to be excited for GameStop because yeah. one of the co-founders of Chewy, which is this really, really successful pet food re online retailer, joined the board of GameStop to revitalize GameStop and mm. hopefully steer it in a more digital direction. Okay. Now, Wall Street Bets is this... Reddit forum for a lot of retail investors, a lot of millennial minded people because the speak is very meme and everyone kind of calls each other degenerates. But sometimes like the due diligence is really good where they give each other advice on what stocks to invest. Okay. So since I don't know any, anything about this, so it's, it's kind of like a, like a place where people help each other about the stock market, but it's, it's like, like young or, people. Yeah. It's millennial. like 4chan for stocks. Okay. And okay, you know, 4chan is just like yeah. chaos. It's and you're a part chaos. of this community. Yeah, I've been okay. reading, I, I read it, I've been reading it like on a very cursory level for the past two years. Uh -huh. Now, in the past week, it's exploded in popularity because GameStop shares have skyrocketed. I okay. think in the last week and a half, it's gone up. It was trading at like $30 a share. Yeah. And at one point it was trading at $350 a share. Okay. So that's absurd. Yeah. And the reason why this has happened is Reddit Redditors have identified, I guess, 
this, not a loophole, but they've they've noticed that hedge fund managers, mm-hmm. you know, the big wigs up top, these powerful bankers, these financial institutions. They were shorting. They the- were shorting GameStop. Yeah. What that means is they were basically betting that GameStop is going to go down the shitter. And so, yeah. And so they and were they borrowing ha- And they stock. have yeah. the capabilities and the instruments to kind of manipulate the market mm-hmm. to ensure they can incite panic amongst regular people like us who don't have full access to the information and connections that these yeah. people, financial institutions do. Yeah. Redditors have kind of decided, okay, well, if we band together... Yeah. and work as a unit, right. we can overpower these financial institutions. Right. So let's all invest in GameStop. There's a lot of reasons to be excited for GameStop. Mm-hmm. It's not this old, crummy brick and mortar store. But they're store. doing it to fuck with the hedge fund company because the hedge fund company has been fucking with GameStop for a long time now, right? Yeah, because they like right. over leveraged shorts into it. Yeah, yeah. And now it's paid off. The strategy that these Redditors like, were like, hey, if we... If we combine forces and we co- co- cooperate on this, we mm-hmm. can all make a lot of money from this and fuck over hedge fund managers who basically are betting that these companies fail. And now that the prophecy has come true, yeah, yeah, people are up in arms over it. CNBC's super upset. They're all talking about nonstop. Right. There needs to be regulations. This is absurd. This is fucking hypocrisy at its yeah. finest. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, so... You know, you fucked over retail investors. You fucked over the American people year after year after year. And now that you're getting a taste of now that you're getting a taste of your own medicine. They had to do it to them. Oh, this is this is blasphemy. We cannot be having this right now. Now, the reason why I'm a little bit upset uh this morning is I I try to (laughs) so I try to buy more shares in a particular stock. Yeah. Um, it's one of the hot stocks that's being talked about on Wall Street Bets. Mm-hmm. And the brokerage firm that I use is Red as uh, Robinhood. Mm-hmm. What's very funny about this is Robinhood is he steals from the rich and gives back to the poor. This right. is a platform where anyone can invest. It's super easy. They blocked people from being able to buy more stock in those Reddit mean right, stocks, right. which effectively incites panic. It makes people want to sell their shares. But if you sell, that's what the hedge fund managers want. And so these so prices- So are the Reddit been, people being like, don't sell? 100,000%. But also this is just market. This is like- They're manipulating This is market it. manipulation, like 101. And so, like, I don't have any skin in the game currently, but I think just on- like out of principle, principle it makes me really angry. annoyed and really upset. Yeah. Yeah. That's some like fucking, that's some white people shit. Sorry. And then if you, and if <laughs> I know everyone, I know it's not white people shit, but it's like, it kind of is. It's all like white guys. Let's be honest. Totally. Totally. And then it's like, they're always fucking everyone over. They're always cheating. Right. And then the second you cheat back, they're like, Oh, look at, look at the, look at the, ugh. like, yeah. It's and not the most a race reductive way possible. That is what's happening. Yeah. And it's, it's like, mean rules. We need rules. <laughs> we need rules now. Wait. Is this allowed? Wait, they're cheat. Che- that's like how America was founded. You know what I mean? Right. The scam a lamb. But it's like even these fucking financial advisors. What? Okay, they're gonna promise you like an eight percent return, and then they're like, oh, "We're gonna work our magic." But uh-uh. then a lot of people are getting fed up with that, and they're realizing Fuck that shit. Oh, the internet is a great resource. Yeah. A lot of this diligence that these regular people are doing is very robust and astute. Yeah. 
I, if I follow this, smart. I can make way more than 8% annual returns. Fuck the institutions. I yeah. don't need you. Yeah, I think I think we're all on a cusp of realizing what the internet truly means for all of us. And it, it does like give us a, a little bit of freedom. But then it's scary because like all the institutions that like own everything and like give make us do things are fucking shook. They're not going <laughs> to let us be free. Yeah, yeah. So right now I'm feeling like the brunt of like, this is injustice. This is it's wrong. injustice. Yeah. That's why I always cheat no matter what. Because you know what? I'm, t- I'm telling you something. No, this is my core. This is one of my core values. I'm going to say right now, I'm year of the rat. And like in scammer. the Chinese, like uh, Chinese folklore, the rat won the race, even though it was the smallest, shittiest animal of them all. <laughs> because at the beginning of the race, they're like, you're going to have to race to this fucking tree. And the rat jumped on like the back of the lion or whatever. I don't know. Tiger. And then at the very end of the race, it jumped off the tiger and then it, it, it won. Tumbled to the, wind, yeah. the lesson being they're like, if some people might think that's cheating, but the lesson being, bitch, I was born a rat. You were born a tiger. What the fuck was it? I was never going to fucking win. <laughs> I was never going to fucking win. So I cheated. <laughs> and that's fucking fair because it was unfair already that you were born a tiger and I was born a rat. So you know what? Fuck, always cheat. That's that's my <laughs> advice to you. Because it's not even cheating. How is it cheating if I'm fucking cheating the rich white guy cheated to like get in the fucking financial yeah, world, world like, anyway? Plus, like, did you have any voice in, like establishing the rules to begin with before no. like it was considered breaking the rules? No. No. I was born a fucking rat. I'm gonna how is that cheating? <laughs> Explain to me how if I'm cheating the cheater, how is that cheating? How is that cheating? <laughs> I'm, I'm, let's buy some stock, Brian. (laughs) Well, young me, how are you feeling? (laughs) I'm glad that your story kind of has something to do with my story. It's about money. Okay. I'm going to fucking tell, I'm I'm so fucking angry too. (laughs) Oh shit. Both of us are feeling angry. We're both Korean. We're both fire signs. This is our fucking time. (laughs) Holy shit. I'm so angry, Joseph. I'm so angry. My fucking cat, which, you know, I don't give a shit. I'm sorry. I, I love the cat. But I'm unemployed. Yeah. I have fucking three hundred dollars in my bank account. I'm not even. I'm. I'm not exaggerating. Please donate to the Patreon. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but listen, my fucking cat has some sort of urinary blockage. Oh no! I ca- I call the person, the doctor near in my neighborhood. I'm like, bitch. I only have like a three hundred dollars in my account. I'm unemployed. I know he's had this before. It was $3,000. I can't do, I can't do that. Oh shit. She was like, you know what? Just come in at most. It'll be $150. Okay. It was called heart of Chelsea vet. Oh, <laughs> I'm calling them out. I, I, I go there. The fucking doctor is like, well, yep, that's what it is. That's definitely what it is. $400. And I was like, and she was like, that's what it is. And it's going to cost $2,000 for us to, Wait, like 400 or 2000. She was like, it's going to cost $2,000. And I was like, oh, you know, when I was like, I'm sorry, but I went to another, I, I was like, first of all, I don't have, I have $300. <laughs> and then I said, I went to another vet before in Brooklyn and they right. only charged me $1,800. So I'm just going to go there. Cause I was like pissed off. Yeah. You're like, I can take my service like, elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and she, I was like, I thought you were just going to like give him some, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was like, you know, <laughs> I wasn't that mad. I was just like, you know what? At that point, I wasn't mad because I was like, that sounds like reasonable, but I know a cheaper vet, right? 
So I was like, I'm just going to go to the cheaper vet because even no matter what, like even Could they if not I, set you up on a payment plan no, or do they she was have like, don't like have a financial assistance in times like this? She no? was like, well, you're going to have to pay the whole amount in full. And I was like, that, okay, I was like, I'm going to go to this other vet. I know it's cheaper and like there's a chance that they'll work with me or whatever. Okay. So then I'm like, she's like, well, I don't know if he's going to make it to Brooklyn. And I was like, oh, bitch, what are you saying? You're saying, I was like, it only takes 20 minutes. And she's like, well, I don't know if he's going to make it. I was like, I was like, you don't want me to leave because you want my fucking money. Get the fuck out of my face. I didn't say it like that. So then I get to the receptionist. She's like, okay, that's $400. And I was like, I thought you said it was going to be $140. I told you I have $300 in my bank account. I don't have that money. Yeah. And she was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, also she char she said it's 2000 and I, and like the other, like on the phone with her, I told her that I took him to this place in Brooklyn and it was $1,800. Mm. And, and I was like, why is, you said it, it was going to be way cheaper than the Brooklyn hospital. So I was mm. like, why did you lie to me? Why did you get me in here? And now I have to give you $400 just for, for her telling me what I already knew. And I was like being a lot more rational. And she was like, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I was like, you know what? Honestly, this is me being a bitch. I was like, I'm sure that so many people because of you have like taken their pets home to die because they were like, they couldn't afford whatever the fuck you're charging. And I was like, sorry, I said that. <laughs> I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and she was like, it's okay. You're stressed out. I was like, I got to go to Brooklyn. It sounds like heart of Chelsea vet is in cahoots <laughs> with hedge fund managers. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's all scam the scammers. So then, okay. So then I get, I get to fucking Brooklyn yeah. oh, and then okay. I'm like, and then they're like, okay, it's going to be $1,800. Oh, shit. And I was like, okay, let me figure out. Because there's all these like shitty, like uh, parasitic predatory credit card companies that you can apply for at the front desk. So oh, I was like, I guess God. I'm going to go into fucking debt for this. Oh, God. $10,000 worth of death for this. So I'm like signing the paperwork and I'm like crying. Oh, no. And then the doctor is like, until you pay the amount in full, I'm not going to do the procedure and so she was like, I'll give you an hour. And I was like, this other fucking doctor at Heart of Chelsea said that he wouldn't make it 20 minutes. So which one is it? Mm. Is he going to fuck? Is he, is he, does he have 20 minutes or does he have an hour? Like right, right. what you're, you're fucking scammers. Mm. You know, I don't, I don't care about the amount of money. I'm just like, give me the information. She told me he was going to die in 20 minutes is what this woman said. Yeah. And that moment when I was like crying and being like, what the fuck am I going to do? Right. I just put on Instagram, like in stories. I was like, bro, I'm, I was like, I'm so sorry, everyone. This is fucking weird, but I'm at the vet and they like, won't do the fucking surgery to save my cat's life even i don't even know if that's true because that's bullshit at this point right, right they won't save my cat's life for uh until i have eighteen hundred dollars in their hand that mm. minute and i put that on instagram put my venmo handle i literally people sent me that money in Aww. 40 minutes that's and so, so then I, I know it was so sweet but it's fucking fucking with my head so much. So I took the post down immediately. But then I was like, oh, also, I can't make rent. I should have just left it up. <laughs> but, then, but then I was like, I can't. That's dishonest. Yeah, so please I, don't do that. But, you know, if you have money, my Venmo is young me dash mare. <laughs> but so then I was like, I took it down because, I, you know, I didn't want anyone's money outside of the cost of the vet. Right. So as soon as I had that much money in my Venmo, I took the post down and then I was fucking with my head. Cause I was like, is money real? Like I made $1,800 yeah. from people that I don't really, some obviously uh, mo like most of them are my friends, but people that I don't know on the internet. And I was like, wow, well, like, it's like, 
And I was like crying and I was like, why was I crying like that? You know, like I was yeah. so, it was like a roller coaster of like. It definitely sends you on a spiral when you think about the concept of money because yeah. in essence, so many things aren't real. They're just social constructs, right. but I yeah. think. But then your I cat think we, will die. If right. you, you know, your cat, right. this doctor it's is like refusing no to work on my cat until I pay her. Religion. We see like the tangible effects it has. Yeah in an immediate way day to day. So I think that's just like a social concept that people, it's very easy to swallow. And you're like, you know what? I Talks can- with your head. Right. I, I, I feel comfortable knowing it's fake, it's made up, but the effects are very real. I feel it in this moment. So yeah, I'm, I'm at peace doing that. Versus like religion, you know, yeah. a lot of people are like, fuck that. But I think it's almost necessary that we need to have these like higher ideas to help us- cooperate and yeah. like collect together as groups. Not me. It's all about money for me now. <laughs> Scamming. Fucking rat, ratting my way through. So this is, rat life. and then also I just wanted to say one thing real quick. Sorry, this is taking a long time, but I think people will like the story and people will relate to this mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. I grew up really fucking poor yeah. and my relationship to money is that I don't have it and I don't deserve whatever. Like, and those, those thoughts, like in that moment was triggering a lot of stuff like that for me because I was sitting in the lobby and there was this like very like well to do looking woman holding her like dying terrier. Sure. And she was really sad and she was crying because she was sad that her dog was dying. Mm -hmm. And I knew obviously her bill was probably my, like mine or more. It just in that moment for one second, and I know this is problematic to like compare myself to other people. I was crying because I was like, I don't have any fucking money and I feel like a fucking loser. And my son is here, you know, like my son has to sit here in the lobby and he heard me saying like, I don't fucking have any money. And like in that moment, I saw that woman crying and I was like, you know, when am I going to fucking be afforded the the dignity to be sad about my pet dying. Like at that, at that point, I couldn't even fucking think about that. Do you know what I mean? I was like, Oh, and the, yeah. my fucking cat's going to die, yeah. but I didn't have any fucking time. And there's no room for me to feel that, you know, yeah. I fucking $300 yeah. my bank yeah. account. And like, I'm so used to feeling that way. And then on top of that fact that people sent me a bunch of money and like, is money even real? Mm. And like, and you know, I think a lot of, I think this is going to resonate with people that are, you know, especially immigrants, because yes, a lot of wealthy people in this country are white and like, I'm kind of mean to white people and they don't really deserve it. But like, but it's in that moment when I see like a white woman crying because her fucking terrier is dying, like that's so fucking unfair. Like I want that for myself too. And I know that sounds so fucking shitty and weird to say that, but like, I want that for me. I want that for my fucking mom. I want that for like... All of us, you know what I mean? Like, we should all... I don't think that... Yeah. Yeah, I don't think that sounds weird to me, because, like, I grew up... I'm an immigrant, I'm a refugee, yeah. and I grew up with, like, scarcity mindset, so I like what you're saying totally resonates with me, and I feel like we aren't afforded, even as we grow up, and then if we do have means at some point, yeah. we never get... We, we never are able to shed that scarcity mindset, Yeah. and so we miss out on a lot of very human joy, sadness reflection introspection because like we're always worried yeah you know so like i think that's like so spot on yeah i'm sorry i'm so, I, i'm not gonna apologize for emotions i always do that <laughs> but like <laughs> you know i just i just want that so much for i want what she had for all of us you know what i mean mm. and it makes me really resentful and really angry because you know let's be honest the vet is wealthy 
You know what I mean? Or she probably makes more money than I do, which is nothing. So like, and th that's wrong for me to feel resentful towards her. You know, she's just her job. But like at, at those moments, those are the feelings, you know, that come out. It's humiliating and it's, it's humiliating. Yeah. <laughs> I think like you mentioning like your son was there too is yeah. like super hard because like I have those memories of my parents when I was younger yeah. and like of course I mean Mina's like awesome and you know he's like I think pretty well balanced but like kids remember that stuff and then we're as, as parents we're always trying to give them the best memories and then worry that they're going to remember like our struggles you know mm. but also like our parents struggles like those actually help us too right I would imagine yeah so yeah how's the cat the cat <laughs> so I got the money from like people on Instagram. Thank you, everyone. Um, it's the cat's at the hospital. I have to pick him up today. Oh, well, hopefully your cat makes a speedy recovery soon. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. That no, was I mean, it's, it's true. I think what you just said, Joseph, I, I see a lot in my own parents too, where, you know, I sometimes wish they were like a little bit more empathic as people, but I understand that they, as immigrants, they struggle tremendously in this country. And their response to it was, I can't indulge in these hard feelings because I feel like it's going to deter me from my ability to obtain success or work harder. So let me just repress that, shut that down, yeah. and then just use this shitty feeling into like working 10 times harder. And yeah, it's like all this trauma, right? You know, that like, and it hardens you. And yeah. you know, I, 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 and I told, yeah, it's hard. It's a, it's a very, very, very hard thing. Anyway, Joseph, how are you feeling? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm good. I, this is like such a great conversation. Um, I don't know if that's what we plan to talk about initially, but um, I'm, I'm good. You know, hanging in there. Two young kids, pandemic, crazy world, all that stuff. Um, but. Today I'm feeling good. My family got hit with COVID, unfortunately, around Christmas time, oh, wow. which was like such a surprise. Um, even though we've been super careful, um, our sitter brought it, um, oh. and so we're like all coming out of it, and everybody's okay. Okay, that's know? great. But like, it's it's just like you know lingering stuff, you know. So, um, so one day at a time. But I'm feeling solid. Happy to be here. Happy to meet Brian. <laughs> happy to see you, young man. If you don't mind me asking, like, how was COVID for you? Because I know there's like a big range on how like it hits people. Yeah. Um, it, physically, I think it was more mild than it was for most people. Uh -huh. But I think emotionally, mentally, like it was like super heavy, you know, mm. and I think that's what people don't talk enough about is like there's like a lot of uncertainty around it. And no matter your age or health or whatever, like it's just like a scary thing, you know, um, especially if you've been super careful and like you've built some fear and anxiety around it just as a mechanism to like respect it. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was, it was hard, you know, and I connected with a lot of people who like have shared that as well, but people don't talk about that publicly. You know, they talk about how many days it takes and then like you're out of it. Um, but like it's, it's crazy making that, that's my experience of it. Yeah. Yeah. Like the weight of it, it might, it must be like so heavy. Yeah. The weight of it's heavy. Like the ambiguity, like the internet's a terrible place mm. except for investment advice apparently. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, like it's, it kind of brings to the fore, like all of the things that are wrong with like how we, our healthcare system, yeah. how we inform people of like public health issues, yeah. quality information out there you know, the inequities to access to healthcare information, right? right. All of that, the testing, like it all brings it to the fore, you know? And, and like, even around the vaccine, like 
you know, we're seeing that, right? Where people like communities of color, like immigrant communities, like, you know, traditionally underrepresented communities are having super hard times getting their parents vaccinated or themselves vaccinated. Cause like, again, the system relies on like some level of savvy and access and wealth. Right. Yeah. yeah. So like you have to have a job where you can sit all day and check your phone to register your parents. Mm. Right. Right. If you don't have a job that allows you to do that, you can't register your parents, mm-hmm. for example. Right. So, so yeah, it's, it's heavy. You're right. Um, but you know, everybody's got to get through it and hopefully, you know, this year will be better. I'm really glad that you and your family are safe and on the mend yeah, now. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've never discussed Islamophobia or the racism Americans have towards people from the Middle East on this podcast before. And sure. we were wondering, like, what is your personal relationship with this issue? Yeah. Um, very intimate. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think Islamophobia is, is real. So I was in New York City in 9-11. I was in college. Mm. Um, and so um, I was at NYU and, you know, saw like the second tower fall. Mm. Like I was standing at Astor Place and I saw it happen. Oh, jeez. And from that day on, like my life was like never the same. Mm. Um, like immediately after that happened, like the FBI was on campus. <gasps> They managed to like identify like Muslim American students, Arab American students, like everybody was getting like asked to go get coffee at McDonald's and like followed up with. Mm. And there was what? This, That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like a very intentional and I and understandable from one perspective, dragnet, right? right. They put yeah. in place. Um, so my life has been very colored by the post 9-11 world. Mm. Um, and then when I was in grad school, I, I studied like Islamic fundamentalism and political Islam, like, cause I wanted to understand what was happening, you know, there. Right. And so I, I've in, encountered Islamophobia, you know, my whole life, but I really was able to identify it post nine 11. Mm. Um, I, tra- I travel a lot for work for, I'm giving you some anecdotes, but like for a time, like I could never get back into the U S mm. without like a really intense questioning. Wow. Mm. Um, and at one point, like they, I, I was pushing back so much, so much that they asked me if I, if I had been to a bomb making school while I was wow. traveling for work in Africa, like straight on. Cause like Jesus. it was taking too long. So, I mean, it, it's real, um, on sort of the governmental level and law enforcement. I think that's something that needs to be tackled, but then within like America, I think it's just become an acceptable form of bigotry. Yeah. Right. Because post nine 11, like everybody was scared. And so decisions had to be made and sides had to be chosen. Right. And I think American Muslims, like, you know, were, um, not only scapegoated, but people were given permission to hate us. Yeah, mm. for sure. And we're seeing that, right? I mean, the last four years, you know, the Muslim man is something that kind of like went into like the background because there's so much other like bullshit from the Trump administration, Yeah. but it's like a really damaging part of something very damaging that happened in the U S right. Mm. Where the Supreme court basically said, yeah, this is fine. Mm. Right? Yeah. And like, I, in my view, that, that, that hadn't happened since Japanese internment. Right. That was the last time right. the Supreme Court, I think, kind of like waited like on the wrong side of history. Yeah. Right. So I think it, I think it's really ugly. I think that maybe 25, 50 years from now, we'll look back on this period yeah. the way we look back on those periods. Right. Um, but, but it's it's scary. And you used to work in media, right? At News Corp. And I did. Yeah. And you walked away because of this <coughs> scapegoatism that you were talking about and how you just couldn't condone this negative uh, spin yeah. on just how they were basically stoking the flames of Islamophobia in this country. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a fair question. Cause I think people ask me all the time, like, first of all, they say, like, how could you have gone there? How could you mm-hmm. go there in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, like what's wrong like with you? Like go to um, News Corp because it's owned by yeah. like Rupert Murdoch and it has like a right, yeah. uh, right wing tilt to it. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. And, you know, I don't actually have a good answer aside from like, like as a lawyer, as with like veterinarians and doctors or other people, <laughs> like a lot of times, like, you know, you don't choose, you can choose your clients, but also it's about the work you're doing. Right. And, right. and so when I was there, I was like, Fox was a separate company. And so I was working on like the publishing, like HarperCollins publishing, mm-hmm. like Wall Street Journal and stuff. But when I got there, I realized that it really, it's all connected anyway. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which I kind of knew, but it was super connected. Um, Still, people hate to hear this, but like I, I work with a lot of good people whose politics were actually very aligned with mine. Mm. So, like behind the closed doors, like it's actually like a normal company yeah. in terms of the diversity of the people who were there. Right. But that doesn't mean it changes who owns it all. Mm. And so, I was able to kind of function, you know, and do my work, and it was interesting. And I'm interested in media and publishing. But in the run up to the election, it got really ugly on the Fox side, right. um, and you know, anti-immigrant like anti-Semitic, anti-Asian, anti-Muslim, anti-everything non-white, basically. Um, and this is and the, I would the say 2016 anti- election? Yeah, okay. 2016. And so, you know, I sort of got through that and the election went the way it went. And then it became clear that I needed to do something else. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and so and so I left and I was really quiet about it. Um, well, and then, you know, like, yeah. Did you, did your coworkers, were they aware of this a brewing sense of frustration that you had? Um, like, I'm curious what... Some of them were. Okay. Yeah. Some of them were, but I mean, you know, one of the things that we do, like, we meaning, like, all of us, um, is, like, you have to kind of, like, get along mm. or play along to get along. So I think, you know, I had to... I already was dealing with imposter syndrome being in, like, the corporate right. setting. And mm. so I, I really had to, like, frame it as, a, like, academic discomfort, right? As mm. opposed to, like, this personal, like visceral discomfort being there mm. so people at work knew that i had like you know like these high-minded differences with with with, with the, what was being said but like for me it was like internally much more like a core discomfort mm. that makes sense yeah i think what you said about like play along to get along is a sentiment that will resonate with a lot of pocs who are in the corporate space yeah. i mean we receive yeah. a lot of messages from our listeners who have actually wanted us to, to talk on this a little more where it's just like you feel like you're an imposter. You're always putting on this face. You can't really show your true colors because you still need to have a job. But nowadays, you know, these companies are putting into action these like diversity initiatives, but it's so like just sprinkles on top and there's no substance to it. And it's just purely as an angle for the corporations to save face. But as a POC in them, you're like, this is not addressing any of the more systemic problems that exists within this organization. And I just have to like pretend like I'm cool with it because I don't want to be flagged as a bad employee. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, and when you ask the hard questions, like who's in your, you know, how many, you know, POCs or women or, you know, LGBTQI people, anybody who's like a non-white male are on your leadership team or on your board. Those are the hard questions that like a lot of companies can't answer. Right. right? Yeah. Because like the answer is like really ugly, which, and that's the investment that I think matters, right? Like, cause those are the people that are making the decisions. Right. And you're right. A lot of these programs are like window dressing. Yeah. Right. So th- people, when you started working there, they were like, Oh, why are you working there? Like sort of giving you, that sort of attitude. I I just want to point out something kind of along what Brian was saying too. I feel like most of the places that you work in America are problematic. Do you know what I mean? Like there's like different faces that, you know, like there's like this like more moral, like code of what companies 
are okay to back, but in the end, they're all white supremacists yeah. owned by like these horrible billionaires. So it's yeah. like, it's like an interesting thing when someone's trying, I always like, am weary when people are pointing fingers and we all just live in capitalism, you know, it's, I, like, I think it's more it's like, that it's just yeah. capitalism at large. I mean, we, we all we, have, we have yeah. no choice, but to like, right have to live in it. Yeah. Like so, the longer I've been doing this creative stuff yeah, and we're like creatives and you yeah. know, a lot of creatives take this stance of like, fuck capitalism, like fuck this, like tear down Which the system. Fine to it's to fine to have, that. but I'm also like, the older I get, the more I just see how all the dots are kind of, everything's interconnected. Yeah. Ultimately, like everyone is just operating as a business. Like even if you're an artist, like you're still pushing and commodifying something to an effect. And yeah. it's like, if the end goal is the same, it's just what is the content in between the lines that you're yeah. pushing and peddling, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I just want, yeah. yeah. I mean, Sorry. I was going to say, it's like, it's complicated because like what you're saying makes me feel better, honestly, about like yeah. my chosen path. And like, I started doing what I'm doing because I was like a quarter million dollars in like educational debt. Yeah. Right. Like that's the truth, you know, yeah. like from undergrad and I worked throughout all of those periods and I still amass all this debt. So then I have to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And part of it is like, you know, some of the people pointing fingers, um, some of them, you know, are trust fund people and like they're, mm-hmm. you know, privileged white people who like, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you, you have the, you can take a gap here. You can, you have the privilege of like, you know, writing your novel or whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get out of debt. I have like multi-generational dependence on me economically. Exactly. Uh, and so, you know what, like, I'm not going to apologize because like I came to this country, like I was smuggled in basically and got asylum yeah. and I'm just trying to like dig out of all that. Yeah. You were born a tiger. I was born a fucking rat. So you know what? Yeah. Rats go to rat. And, and like, let, and let me run my race, right? Because yeah. like, yeah. I think the issues that are like, like people are mad at really systemic issues, and the truth is, like, I am too. Yeah, yeah. I am too. So, yeah. Young, yeah. But you I know. still want to win the and race. Young, me and I kind of exchange messages about this sometimes as well. Sometimes as well, but like, there's a lot more work to be done than, than blaming. Right? Right, right. Blaming's the easy part, right? Yeah. But like, what are people doing to like to change the system? And yeah. You don't have to be on the sideline, or you don't have to be like you know. At the, in the front of the protest line to be working on changing the system, Mm-mm. you know? Wow. So um, when you left so. News Corp because you were just fed up, you could not be, <laughs> what? No, just like the, I like the like fed up. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you, like it, you know, it was, it came from somewhere deep inside of you. You were just fed up and you just yeah. didn't, it didn't sit well with you. Like that you were part of this corporation that yeah. was just peddling Islamophobia in this country. Yeah. How did that feel? Like, was, were you scared? Like, presumably, did you know yeah. what your next moves were going to be? Was there like a, Seinfeld moment where you're like, oh shit, I made a huge mistake. I'm just going to go back in and pretend like nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so I, I, I because for reasons I previously discussed about like, you know, financial pressures, like yeah. I, I had gotten another job set up before I left. It. So it's not like I like stomped out, you know, like I had to like think about this because, you know, we have kid and all this stuff. Of right? course. Um, and so, so I kind of went and I went quietly, mm. like, cause I, you know, what was I going to say? And the reason I, I said something publicly, like, that came out like with an NPR interview after years of kind of talking to David Fulkenflick about doing mm-hmm. this was it was just getting like so um, like off the charts yeah. mm. that I felt like someone needed, like some not just me but people needed to start like chipping away at like what that was mm. right yeah. and so when I did that I was really scared um, and I got like death I still get death threats oh like God. I got you know social media stuff like wow. I'm gonna rape your wife like I'm gonna you know like Jesus. all this like really oh, ugly hateful stuff um, for people who are like, are like, well, you know, you're like a sand N word and like, whatever, like the typical anti-Islam, anti-Muslim, like anti-Middle Eastern person stuff that happened. But also like professionally, like, you know, 
like that's out there. And I'm probably going to have a harder time getting certain jobs because like I chose to take a stand. Yeah. Um, I don't feel sorry for myself. Like I'm doing fine. Mm. But, um, but I was a fear too. And then like the last fear was like, you know, like people from like the left and even some of my close friends came back and said like, what took you so long? You know, like the pointy fingers, the fricking pointy finger people. What the hell are they doing about shit? Nothing. Shut the fuck up. And as I got more involved with this past campaign, you know, um, to like get Trump out, people like, Oh, it's great that like, you know, you're like on your high, I got an actual message from someone. I was like, it's great that you're on your high horse now, you know, about like these policies. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, like I've been the same person. My politics have been the same since I was 16. You know, right. Um, and so all those things, you know, are happening. Right. Um, but I don't think, um, I think it was worth it. It just invited a lot more than I thought it was going to invite. I thought people were gonna be like, yeah, who, this guy's like a nobody, which I am. Like, and it would move on. But like in that moment, it created like a lot of fervor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. That's like, I remember when that came out and I was like, yeah, you know, the thing is, isn't that weird? Like, I don't know. Did, did you feel like afraid at all when, when it came out? Oh, like, yeah, I think I've done stuff in the past where I'm just like, I know this is the right thing and I'm going to do it. And the feeling after is like a little relief, but mostly feels like shit. <laughs> right? And that's like, I think that's just a note on our society more than anything. And I just wanted to say one more thing. Yeah. Um, what you said was like, oh, all the people being openly racist and giving you death threat messages and being racist in your DMs, like that's scary and that's part of America. But the more dangerous part, I think, is like what you what you said right after that. The fact that like that's out there and then people won't hire you like that kind of like stealth racism or like like, oh, this person's going to like call us out if we do anything weird, you know, like. Like that sort of thing, I feel like is like scarier for me, you know, like hearing your story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, like one of, one of my friends from law school, her name is Bari Williams. Uh, she lives out here and she thinks she wrote something recently about how like the privilege of speaking your mind is also part of like white privilege, mm. you know, both in corporate America, in media, in, in, in the arts, um, saying what you feel and think in this open society without consequence is like a privilege reserved, not for us. Mm. Right. No, there are yeah. people who, there are people who own these companies who, you know, who work in these companies who just say whatever they want. Right. Yeah. And it's okay. And it's free speech. But then when someone like me, like says something, it's like, Oh, well, you know, what about your confidentiality with your client and like your professional obligations? Yeah. That's not a conversation that people are having with, you know, mega donors to, you know, other causes that are white. Right. right? And so the policing of our, of our language and our communication, I think is like something that like, I mean, you, you all see it, you live it, but it's something that in, in the corporate context, like is very real, like, particularly for, wow. you know, black, brown, Asian people. Yeah. Right? No, that's yeah. so um, true. And it's, it's, it's like that, that excuse of, Oh, I'm exercising free speech. I am a role model for free speech. That excuse is exclusively attributed to just white people. Yeah. And if you're not white and but you're like saying something that's quote unquote controversial or whatever, you get blacklisted. Like you, you get blacklisted, you're disruptive, you're difficult to work with. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, and you're seen as being unprofessional and like, you know, um 
I maybe know. in like maybe like not sophisticated. Right? Because yeah. a sophisticated person would never not sophisticated. Come out their yeah, that right. is so. Right. For me, I've like, <laughs> I've come to the point where if I see anything talking about sophistication or manners, good manners, I'm like, that's all just like code for like white supremacy. Mm. You know what I mean? Good manners. What does that mean? Well, my parents. <laughs> well, that's the thing though. I, yeah. I think part of it is also cultural too, because yeah. my parents, they don't understand the concepts or like the nuances of white supremacy. Like they, they like kind of just, they're immigrant. They just focus on themselves. Well, but, I mean in like America. Oh, right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But like, I still have those attitudes imbued in me, like more than you, I would mm -hmm. definitely say where I'm like yeah. very cautious of my words. I don't want to ruffle any feathers and I'm not. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I think it's part of it's just imbued in me because of like Asia's emphasis on, it's not just about your feelings. Like you got to think about how others are going to perceive you, how your family is going to yeah. be seen if you do this. And no, I, I have a little bit of that somewhere left over inside well, look me. What happened? It's, it, I, it's, it's stifled in me to the point where another root grew out. I'm like, I'm going to make a podcast and say all the fucking things in my little safe space. Well, that, you know, that's an interesting point because I feel like also for like Asian Americans and you know, you are central Asian and um, I don't know how, how much of this is a part of like Afghan culture, but is, is, is there like a lot of that sort of stuff culturally where you, you know, you keep quiet and you like play by the rules and yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, again, like it, it exists probably in a similar way that you've described, but then also post nine 11 because right. of like the anti-Muslim yeah. component, yeah, yeah. there's like very much a like, don't draw attention to yourself. Yeah. Because, like if, yeah. if you've made it anywhere, you know, be grateful. Like this, like selling of like the fact that like you should start with gratitude and end with gratitude and yeah. never ask or, you know, believe that you deserve something or you've worked for it or earned it. Right. You should be grateful that you have it. That is, you know? I think yeah. that's a, very much a part of like our, our culture. It, that's and you know what? I think this is, this is it's it's making hard. me so sad, yeah. but this is the thing about, I think Asian, like East Asian Americans and, you know, from hearing your story and like from what I've imagined because of Islamophobia, that is now like abused by white people. Cause they're like, Oh, you're like, I feel like they understand that culturally it's part of like East Asians not to fucking talk back. So they don't expect us ever to like say anything when we're wrong and stuff like that. Do you know right. what I mean? Yeah, I think totally. like people, people like have like internalized that white people have. And I feel like a lot of white people probably have internalized that like with people who are Muslim and live in America. Cause they're like, you know, there is this like cultural, like the, the culture is behind me as a white person. So if we get in yeah. a fight, you better like back down. You know, I feel like that's like, there's something like that internally going on. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, really, really current example. So this last week in Portland, Oregon, yeah. there was a 68 year old Afghan guy uh -huh. working like at a gas station shop or whatever. And this is on video and all over media. And this guy comes in and just starts berating him, mm -hmm. right? Calling him Osama uh -huh. and like saying, Oh, you know, let's go back to your country. Like completely like berating him. And like this guy is videoing to save his own life. Right. Right. And trying to like kind of push back against this guy and this guy who had no right to say anything is flipping out that this, this 68 year old Afghan guy has the audacity, right. Yeah. Has the audacity to take him on. Right. Mm -hmm. As the mm -hmm. owner or the worker in the shop. And it's, that's exactly right. I mean, there's this expectation that like, be grateful that you're here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. You better not. Fight. I mean, that just reminds me of like your story. Like, Oh, you wrote this. Oh, you said this about your job. You know, like I feel like that plays a lot. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah. Anyway, I, I know that we have a lot of other questions, but I just want to say like, you've like dropped so many 
things that, while you were talking about like how you were a refugee and you were like smuggled into this country. And I feel like I, I just want to ask you about that because it was like you kind of went over it really fast. How, so you were born in yeah. Afghanistan. <laughs> so you were born yeah, in I, Afghanistan. I yeah, I was born in Afghanistan. Uh -huh. um, my family like left during the war. My mom actually by herself like smug. I was like a couple months old, I think smuggled me to India uh -huh. and then we went to India and she was like, you know, how old was she? Like 20, 21. Oh my God. And, and then like what, like, you know, overnight trained to India by herself, never been out of the country. And then from Jeez. India, we went to Germany and my dad got out somehow in Madison, Germany. And then we moved to New York and I grew up in Queens. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So that was like, that was our story. Actually, um, Viet Nguyen, who's like this like brilliant, you know, Vietnamese American author. Yes. Like, you know, superstar guy. He edited um, a, a collection of refugee stories mm -hmm. with all the proceeds going to the International Rescue Committee. Uh -huh. And I was a chapter in, in that book. Um, oh, and so that's this, it's interesting. Yeah, it's called The Displaced. Um, this was like two years ago, I guess. But uh, uh -huh. there are all these stories. It's a young question. There are all these stories of people who are here who have never had to had to tell their story but asked to tell their story right mm -hmm. um and so my story is probably not very unique it's just we never get to hear them you know yeah we just kind of move on to the controversy of the day so wow. so you were just a few months old when you moved to new york yeah i mean by the time i got to the u.s i think i was probably close to one maybe mm -hmm. or something but um but so my whole life was here and then i moved to california when i was in high school and i've been back and forth as young you know yeah. <laughs> for many years now wow so I'm sure there must have been a lot of emotions that came from this recent election for you because just, you know, your story of being because, yeah. being a refugee and being smuggled into this country to now, you know, you organize this community uh, in support of Biden Harris that's very close to your own cultural roots and to get the outcome that you fought so hard to, to, to represent and to work for, I, I'm sure that yeah. must've been really emotional for you. It was, and I should add the caveat that like, I was like one of a bunch of people who did this group. So there was like four or five of us. Right, um, right, right. And, um, and there are other Afghan groups that have been doing a lot of work before this, but yeah, it felt really good. Um, but it also felt like very much like the beginning, right? Mm. Because I think like mm. one of the things I've noticed in our communities is like, we feel good about getting our person elected. But then, like, we don't feel comfortable asking mm, for something mm -hmm. from them, you know, mm. like, like getting, getting involved in policy, like asking for meetings with people in the administration, asking for meetings with your, our representatives, right? Like, that feels like out of reach, you know, like we get, we wrote our check, we organized our little town hall, you know, so now like we're going to hand it back to the grownups, right? Like that, in my view, tends to happen. Mm -hmm. And it's changing for our community. I think we're getting much more involved now, not just to, like in foreign policy, which is always a big focus for us given the war. But also like the kitchen table issues, like education, healthcare, like stuff that affects the hundreds of thousands of Afghan Americans, and you know AAPI Americans and SWANA Americans, right? Who who are here and like for a long time have watched the debates go on about the economy or jobs or healthcare or education, but like never got up to say, you know what, like this is impacting me as well. Like mm. I have kids that I want to put through college. Mm. Like I have healthcare needs. You know, I have chronic illness for my parents. And our community is just starting to realize that domestically, like they have a little bit of a voice and that's been like super cool. Um, so I'm excited um, that it went the way it went, mm -hmm. but I think there's a tremendous expectation mm. that, um, that there's going to be like, you know, involvement from our community, but some responsiveness from the people who've been elected to recognize that like, it maybe not just Afghan Americans, but like this conglomerate of, you know, immigrant refugee communities, particularly from our part of the world right. are here and, you know, 
they they have voting power and they have economic power. And so they have to be reckoned with. Wow. I have so many other questions and so many things that I want to talk to you about. I'm like, I'm like trying to like, like, (laughs) I mean, you're like, so, I mean, I feel like, you know, like Brian said earlier, we've never discussed Islamophobia, but then obviously just being like from Afghanistan is like different than just Islamophobia. Cause that's like a very specific place where like America went to war. Like, you know, there's so much like, I'm sure so much stuff that your parents went through. Um, I just have like so many like things that I want to know about this, but I guess we're running out of time. Maybe we'll have you. Yeah. I mean, just because you know, part one. Part <laughs> tease one. Out, tease, tease our listeners there. And that's it. No, it's good. No. It's good. I mean, just being invited and being included in this community is like really valuable for me mm. as yeah. an Afghan American because like I consider myself Asian. Mm. Asian people don't consider me Asian. I do. Um, and so thank you, young me. <laughs> Um, and so like this inclusion, I think is important, even like in this medium, because like, it's kind of bringing to focus the fact that like, we have a lot of shared interests, yeah. you know? And so, yes. um, like the lines on the map, like those were not drawn by us. No. You know? And mm. together we can all buy GameStop and throw, yeah. <laughs> throw and bankrupt a hedge fund. All of us together, man. Come on, Asia. That's like, the only way. I, yeah, I, I know that, you know, like what you said about like East Asians being kind of like uh, elitist when they think about who's Asian or whatever. I'm like, bro, no, we need everyone, every single person we can yeah. get to buy GameStop. So I'm, I'm always yeah. like, yeah, you're Asian. Let's do this. You're like, we're all rats. Rats unite. <laughs> Absolutely. Rats, all of us will jump on the tiger and then eat the tiger. <laughs> A million rats can eat one tiger. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, I guess that's, you know, I've, we've touched on this before where like yeah. being East Asian, that is like privileged it is, it, yeah. it is a privilege because we don't it never comes to question it's like are you asian it's like well duh like this is this is what it means to be asian is to be east asian yeah and um as someone from central asia like there could be a sentiment that you're not as included in as uh, in the community that is there any resentment or like do you notice that there's like division that becomes like stronger as a byproduct of it or like resentment be like oh fuck you like if you don't want to if you don't want to include us like we don't need you you know yeah i think it cuts both ways because i think there's like a lot of anti-asianness in our community Mm. you know like i think as probably as a means to like feel less part of the majority like like i think afghans can be very racist against east asian people Mm. you know like in the ways that like white supremacists would be right like Mm. in like in sort of like adopting the stereotypes and like you know the getting into the tropes of like how asians are right Mm -hmm. so i think that's one of the byproducts is like you don't you don't see us as part of you well we don't we don't want to be there and by the way like we're also going to adopt like this white majority viewpoint on asian stereotypes Mm -hmm. you know um, but then when you like Afghanistan actually has borders with China, for example, right? Mm-hmm. So in that part of the country, like Afghans, like look like they could be Chinese actually. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And people don't recognize that. And so even within Afghanistan, there's like actually like a lot of ethnic tension mm-hmm. between these different parts of the country. But in the U S yeah, I think there's like a little bit of resentment, but also like it helps us forget that we're a part of it. Mm-hmm. And then people, unfortunately, some people adopt, um, these what I consider to be like a racist views. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I see that in East Asian communities, like they'll say stuff about like black people or like Middle Eastern people that you hear from white people. You know what I mean? 
And like, yeah. I've even seen that in Korea. And I'm like, you've never even seen a black person. Like, what are you, what are you, where did you hear this? You're such a hack, bro. Grandma. Like, yeah. you're just so hack. Like, yeah. what, did you watch one like Comedy Central <laughs> special from 1987? And now like your entire worldview is from I mean, that? Yeah, like don't, don't judge everybody by Cat Williams. Who's great, <laughs> but you know, there's more. Yeah, there's yeah. more. <laughs> Seriously. Oh man. That is interesting. Uh, you know what? Let's. I people Asian people stop being racist. That's what I'm. <laughs> I wish people would just stop with that. Yeah, and I'm sure if you put that up on Instagram, uh, you will get hate mail from people because people will, for some reason, will see that as controversial. Racism is bad, and people will be like, "I don't like this. This just yeah. fuck you yeah, and your family." Your Why didn't you say this earlier? Why didn't you say this five years ago? You're on your high horse. Fuck you. <laughs> you could have said this five years ago, young me. <laughs> yeah. Racism oh, is bad. <laughs> um, Joseph, before we let you go, we want to ask you: What is something that you're proud of? What am I proud of? Um, it's an interesting question to ask an immigrant. I, I don't, you know, I'm I'm kind of just. You know, like I, I have two young daughters, um, one's four, one's a year and a half, and I'm like, I'm proud of like the people they're becoming, and I'm proud of the fact that like I have some part in that, you know, because like I don't think it's an accident, mm. and and I think that's what I'm proud of. Like I think they're, I'm seeing like things like kindness and like you know thoughtfulness and like you know inclusion in how they operate in the world in their little world, and like they're not assholes when so many kids are assholes. And I'm proud of that, you know, because I feel like we're doing our little part to like plant good seeds. So today that is what I am proud of. I was, you know, right when you said that I was going to like stop you because a lot of people try to push it off to somebody else. I'm like, oh, my children are good. But then when you said that wasn't an accident, that was my parenting. I think that was like, that's like really great because it's, it's hard for, you know, people I think like us to see that your kid is good and be like, Oh, I parented them well, you know? Yeah. And like, yeah. obviously they're good people, but I, I also had a hand in that. That's like a really difficult thing yeah. to say. So, well, cause you know what happened young me, the minute that our kids do something wrong, they'd be like, Oh, the parents, Yeah. <laughs> where, where did they go wrong? Yeah. So if that's going to happen anyway, we might as well embrace like the fact that like Mina's awesome and like my daughters are awesome and they're growing up as like these like good humans. Like I think we should take credit for that because um, yeah. if we don't, then like someone else is. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Yeah. When I if and when I become a dad, I'm gonna buy myself a world greatest dad T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I bought I bought myself a mug and it says world's okayest mom. <laughs> What? I'm going to teach Mino how to cheat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, I'm not anyway. going to edit that out. No, don't. I'm going. He's going to be the world's greatest cheater. <laughs> All oh, right. well, that was so great. It was so great talking to you. This was an amazing, yeah, amazing for inviting conversation. Um, for our listeners, where can they find you and your work? So, where I, um, I'm on Instagram, but it's just like, Get pictures. Nice. <laughs> um, and that's it. So, and I'm on Twitter, Joseph Azam. Um, sometimes interesting things to say, other times not. Um, 
but more than anything, you know, if people want to reach out um, and and buy the book, that all the proceeds go to the IRC, or if they want to talk about refugees and do refugee events, immigrant events, like coalition building mm -hmm. in Asian American communities, like I might not be the person, but I can connect you and like do events together. So that's what I hope people um, think about and reach out about. Brian. Where can our listeners find you on, on the internet? You guys can find me on socials at It's Brian Park. And what about you, Young Me? Uh, YM Mayor and then Young Me Mayor on TikTok. And we also, this podcast has a TikTok now too. Yeah. Oh, we have a TikTok. Ooh, Feeling Asian podcast. I'm trying to put exclusive clips on there. So f there is a reason for you to follow. It's not Those just- Those hot, juicy clips. And if you are looking for a sound engineer- please hit up Sarah Pack. Her Instagram is at impact. That is I-M underscore P-A-K-T. And follow us on socials at Feeling Asian Podcast. And don't forget the Patreon. That is the most important Patreon. thing. Patreon.com slash Feeling Asian. <laughs> Do not forget the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Feeling Asian. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Bye, Joseph. Bye. Thank